It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Talking Business, a podcast produced in Melbourne, Australia. The podcast is available on the ACAST app, the Apple Podcast Store, or wherever you go to get your podcasts. Or you can get it at the Business Acumen website at www.businessacumen.biz. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. I am Leon Gettler. My job is to review and monitor the week's news in business, finance and economics. I bring it all to you every week. This is episode number 46 in our series for 2020, and today's date is Friday, December the 18th. First, I'll be talking to Tammy Sherwood, CEO of Person-Centred Care Australia, with its app-based mobile care monitoring for the aged and dementia care facilities. And I'll be talking to AMP Capital Chief Economist Shane Oliver about the market and his predictions for next year. But now, let's talk to Tammy Sherwood. Well, Tammy, tell us about the technology you're using in uh, certain nursing homes and aged care facilities and dementia villages. Yeah, so person-centred software is used um, exclusively in residential aged care facilities. Um, We are very different to traditional clinical software providers because we evidence care at the point of delivery. So traditionally nurses would be uh, and care staff would be delivering care, delivering care, delivering care, delivering care, and then they get to the end of the shift and they need to either sit down at a computer or find a paper chart and then evidence the care. So we've really changed the way care is delivered through technology. Now that is via a care app for carers to evidence the care at the point of delivery. Um, Care monitor for managers who are monitoring care in real time to have that data fed through to them so they can use that to 
uh, for data-driven decision-making and um, really make informed decisions about what's happening in real time. And then we've got another piece of our technology called the Relatives Gateway. So that's including family members in the care as well. So they can log in and have a look at photos and be part of that care. Um, they can send messages and, um, and video link with their loved one as well and sign off on care plans and actually be part um, of the residence care. And of course, that's all um, with the approval of the resident um, on what they want their family member to see. That's very exciting. So the family members actually get to see the data as well? They do. So like I said, it's entirely up to the resident on what they want their family members to see. Traditionally, we see the eldest daughter is the is the caretaker um, of, of mum or dad living in aged care. So if the resident wants that daughter to see an activity summary uh, and perhaps a hygiene chart, they can actually have access to see that. And we write a care story as well about um, what care has been delivered and when they're feeling happy uh, because we, we gauge the resident's happiness via a happiness indicator so the family member can see well mum's happier in the afternoon she's not so happy in the morning maybe I'll, I'll increase my visits in the morning to try and you know encourage her to perhaps do some more activities and then if they just want the great great granddaughter to see photos then they can just have access to see that. This is extraordinary technology I mean how long did it take you to work this out? Well, I've been working in aged care for a very long time and I've really just seen the traditional clinical software being built as an ACFI optimization tool. So ACFI is our funding instrument uh, in our industry. And I first saw um, person-centred software nearly four years ago now uh, in the UK. So I was on a study tour. I was working um, in medication management at the time and, and went on a study tour to the UK. And the first aged care facility I walked into... I saw them evidencing care at the point of delivery. Um, it was in Battersea Place in London, and I had to know more about it. I was fascinated uh, by this technology. Spent two more weeks travelling around the UK looking at lots of different pieces of technology and just kept this amazing idea in the back of my mind. And the way life works, I was introduced to the co-founder in Brisbane. He was he flew in, he was here for 36 hours and someone introduced me to him and he asked me to resell his product. How would this technology change the trajectory of care? And for that matter, the longevity? Well, because we're being positive about care. We're not reacting, we're responding. So... We're able to see um, all of the, you know, when residents want to do activities and we can plan their care with them. So we can ask residents, what time do you want to get up in the morning? And we can be responsive to their care needs, um, which is all needs to be driven what the consumer wants, not what about, you know, what we want. It's about what they want and what time they want these, these things to happen for them, what time they want to have a shower. If they don't want to have a shower, if they prefer uh, to have a wash, um, which carers do they prefer to work with, which staff members, um, how do we align them with their preferences. So we do a beautiful interest and activities assessment with our residents and with our staff and we can actually match them up. So if we've got a resident that uh, likes gardening and, you know, really loves collecting uh, was was a car collector. Uh, we can match them up with carers who have interests in 
cars so they can sit because they get an hour extra a day because they're not documenting all of this care at the end of the shift so carers get all of this extra time to spend with the residents talking to them and doing things that they want to do with them so it actually cuts back on the amount of red tape and uh, paperwork that the carer needs to process It does, Leon, and we actually did a case study last year with Southern Cross Care, who are in South Australia, who are our largest client. They have 17 sites that we have um, transitioned them over from a traditional clinical software, and we were halfway through the implementation So we decided to have a look at what that data looked like um, and do a real comparison. And we invited Flinders University in to help us uh, have a look at all of this data. And what we actually discovered was there was a reduction in critical incidents. There were better outcomes for residents and they had about an hour extra a day with residents. Your company operates in care centres right around Australia? We're in nearly 75 residential aged care facilities now. So Person Centre Software has been in Australia. So we're distributed by via Belgravia, uh, one of their uh, businesses. So we've been here for just over two years and we're fully implemented into uh, 70, nearly 75 aged care facilities. We cap our implementations because we project manage our software. Um, I often use the term, we're not a sausage factory. We don't throw the technology at people. We understand it needs to be person-centred. So we really take the carers on that journey and how we implement the software into an aged care facility as well. You're also working in dementia facilities as well, aren't you? We are. So we've just gone live um, at Karonji. That's in Tasmania. Yes, so that's a dementia-specific facility. So that has been, it is the first one in Australia, actually. So we're, we're working with the team there to really, you know, evidence care at the point of delivery. So it's working very well. Okay, so where do you see this uh, market developing? Obviously, there's a whole lot of technology companies that are getting into this. So you've got, so for example, Telstra Health involved, yeah. so Apple, Google. Where do you, what do you see developing from it? Yeah, so we, in terms of development for the product, um, we have already uh, done quite a few integrations. Um, So we believe that we are subject matter experts in clinical care, in residential aged care. And I don't want to be an expert in everything. I want to stay in my own lane. So what we've done is integrate with subject matter experts. So the product now is fully integrated with pain check, um, which is the facial recognition pain assessment. Um, We also have um, integrations with medication management providers, clinical governance and other industry experts. So they can be experts in what they do. And my product doesn't become so big and topple over because I think we've really learned that uh, traditionally clinical software providers have wanted to be all things to everybody and try and have a HR system and a finance system and all these other things that just don't relate to the resident. So person-centred software, every time somebody asks us for development, we ask them, how does this benefit the resident? And that's what we've built the software on. As technology develops, you could see more technology being brought in on this. Absolutely, because... We, because we are agile, 
um, and we can respond very quickly, we're able to listen to our customers. And that's exactly how we develop our roadmap, by listening to our customers. And if they do want additional products, we can go to market and we've got the experience to actually find those technology products to offer them um, these other great pieces of technology as well. So we've got a really exciting roadmap um, coming up for our, for our existing customers. And I'd imagine, though, a lot of the input would be coming from the customers, well, from the residents' families, your, your proverbial oldest daughter, etc. cetera. Yeah. Uh, they'd be giving you input about what's required and how to further develop it. Would that be right? So you'd be talking to them all the time. Absolutely. Yeah. It's from the resident up and, you know, to the carers. Our care app has been written by carers. So when we first developed the care app, uh, we asked carers, how do you know which resident to go to first? You know, that was a really great question to ask them to start developing the product. And we got three answers. And the answers were, I, I go to room number, go to my residence by room number. The second one was, I react to call bells. And the third one was, I go to residents I like first. So we wanted to completely eliminate any of that decision-making and we wanted to be able to enable carers with the information in their hand in which resident to go to first. And just in terms of product development, when coronavirus uh, first hit, we went to our customers and we said to them, what do you want? What will make your life easier right now? Obviously, we've been hit very hard in our industry um, by this horrible virus. And we collected feedback very quickly from them. And we were able to introduce a coronavirus um, slider into our device. So we can actually evidence symptoms of coronavirus very, very quickly. Um, we can then do contact tracing. So we're able to have a look which carer has been in contact with this resident and we can actually respond very quickly to that. And just from family members, they said, we want to be able to stay in contact. Obviously, the whole country went into, into lockdown in aged care. Um, so what we were able to do is uh, we put a new feature into our relatives gateway. So uh, the residents could actually video conference with up to 25 members of their family. And all of these features were at no cost because we really wanted to give back to our community. That's quite extraordinary, Tim. Quite extraordinary. And... Uh... We'll be watching it with great interest. And thank you very much for your time. Congratulations. Thank you, Leon. Thanks so much. And now let's talk to AMP Capital Chief Economist Shane Oliver. Okay, well, well, Shane, the market seems to have responded this year to news about COVID-19 and news about vaccines. It's been all over the place, up and down, very volatile. What's your summary? Is that a good summary of it? It's uh, certainly been an interesting year. I, th I think most of it would say it's been a year we'd prefer to forget, um, given coronavirus. Um, share markets uh, do seem to have taken it in their stride. Obviously, there was a lot of uncertainty around uh, March and April. Um, back then, there was it was totally unclear as to whether the lockdowns would work, whether we'd be able to get it under control in some countries, as we seem to have done in Australia. The rest of the world's having a few problems there. Um, and also, uh, yeah, vaccine was a long time away, and there was a lot of debate about whether one would come along. But as the year has progressed, we have seen, uh, obviously, pretty rapid and massive uh, policy stimulus, both fiscally and monetary stimulus. And, of course, that's helped share markets initially, that big rally into June. And then, of course, uh, more recently, we've seen, uh, even though there are uncertainties around and coronavirus is still having an impact, we've seen the 
good news on vaccines with uh, at least three so far suggesting or coming up with reasonably good results, suggesting that there's light at the end of the tunnel, that by the end of maybe 2021, as we go into 2022 at least, the world could have reached a degree of herd immunity, so to speak. So that offers um, hope, and I guess share markets have also latched onto that. But uh, you, you do have to allow that uh, share markets are more expensive than normal, but that higher PE ratios, but that partly reflects lower interest rates than normal as well. So overall, it's turned out for investors to be a not-so-bad year, particularly given the uh, the uncertainties which we saw earlier in the year. Um, and, of course, it depends on whether you're well diversified or not. Global shares have done better than Australian shares, as often occurs in uh, periods of uncertainty, but Australian shares seem to have been catching up lately, which I, I guess is good news. Uh, overall, I think if you're a well-diversified investor, through the year as a whole, you would have had modest positive returns, but your key was to be well diversified. Well, the, the Australian share market seems to have done particularly well this year. It's well above 6,000. That, that's quite impressive. It has had an impressive result. Bear in mind, of course, say in February, it, it got as high as 7,200 or, or just below. So it's, it's still well below that. Um, but nevertheless, you know, as we speak, it's about line ball from where it started the year. And if you add in a few dividends as well, then it's actually not a bad outcome in the great scheme of things, uh, particularly when you allow that last year was a reasonably good year for shares, the Aussie share market last year in 2019, which returned 23.4%. Uh, so even if this year just turns out to be nothing more than dividend yield, uh, say around 3.5%, with franking grants 4.5%, it's not a bad outcome once you would average it across the few years. Right, okay. So how would you... I mean, looking forward, how would you see the market performing next year? I, I'm reasonably optimistic. Uh, I, I think uh, there's, there's several reasons to be optimistic. One is Australia has done a pretty good job of controlling coronavirus, which has seen uh, yeah, the bulk of our economy reopen again. So that's a positive sign. Related to that, of course, as, I, as we go through the year, I think we'll see vaccines deployed, which will also see the, the threat of coronavirus gradually recede. So that's a big positive. Secondly, we've seen more fiscal stimulus in Australia than in many other countries. We haven't mucked around like they have in the US, for example, and that's helped Australian, Australian businesses stay afloat. It's helped uh, protect jobs and uh, people have been able to keep servicing their mortgages and where they couldn't, they had payment holidays. So we haven't seen any of the normal fallout you expect from a, a sharp recession. So thirdly, you know, the Australian share market is uh, quite a cyclical share market. It's got high exposure to resources, stocks, obviously, financials, which in recent times have become a bit cyclical, uh, industrials and so on. And those, those, you know, it's, it's not as pandemic proof or sort of pandemic exposed as the US share market is, which has that high exposure to IT stocks and healthcare stocks, which actually benefited from the pandemic. So that explains why Aussie shares in 2020 underperformed the US share market. But come next year, if we're looking at recovery, then I think that will be turned on its head. The US share market will be a laggard. The Aussie share market will be an outperformer. And finally, of course, you know, we do have exposure to Asia, uh, where there's generally been a, a better job of controlling the virus. You know, uh, economies have picked up faster. Obviously, China's a part of that. And there are some issues in the relationship with China between Australia. But nevertheless, I think when you put all those things together, it all goes fairly well for our share market in the year ahead. I think one final point that we're likely to see is that a lot of the companies which cut dividends, particularly the banks, will start to 
uh, increase them again or reinstate them, maybe not necessarily back at their previous highs, but they'll start to come back, which will also help improve sentiment. So I suspect that uh, through 2021, we'll see the share market get back to its previous high, i.e. the high that we saw back in uh, February 2020 of around 7,200. Uh, there are still issues. I mean, we, I mean, we, technically Australia is out of recession, but uh, you know we have a whole lot of issues like uh, population growth is uh, very low. It's unlikely to come back until what late next year, maybe when they reopen the borders, and uh, and also we have the geopolitical issues with China. Yeah, those are the two big threats. Uh, there's always something out there, and I guess one of the lessons. Of- was that there's a lot of noise out there, you know, no sooner than you think you've got a handle on it, then somebody else comes along. You know, President Trump gets coronavirus, and then we have a weird election in the US, and it just seemed to go from one thing to another. Now, we, you know, Brexit's still going and all this sort of stuff. So there's always been something. It's been a classic year, I think, to turn down the noise. At least uh, some good musicians out there put some new music out in uh, 2020. Colin Minogue, Taylor Swift, uh, Pet Shop Boys, even Paul McCartney did another version of McCartney number three so music wise it's been a good uh, a good year to, to get that music into your head and turn down the noise but obviously in australia's case yeah there are some risks out there and the two biggest risks i guess beyond the obvious coronavirus issues is the tensions with china um, that does need to be resolved at present it's what we're seeing is horrible for some meat producers wine producers barley farmers and so on um, but those exports obviously they're sort of everything for the people involved, but for the economy as a whole, they tend to be about six or seven billion dollars worth on an annual basis, which is about 0.3% of the overall economy, relatively small. The impact will become a lot more noticeable, though, if coal is more decisively impacted, gas and, of course, iron ore. Iron ore is about $85 billion a year. Um, and that's at normal prices, and most of the price has gone through the roof, so it's even more. Uh, so if, if iron ore starts to be affected, then it's going to have a much bigger economic impact. Hopefully that doesn't happen because that would impact the Chinese economy as well. And, um, so there are limits in terms of what China can do there. But, but I think at the end of the day, uh, this whole complex sort of escalated with President Trump's trade war with China. We got sucked into that in some way. I know we do have our own issues, but we've got sucked into that in some way. If the US under Joe Biden takes a more diplomatic approach to solving its problems, then hopefully we'll be uh, sucked down that path as well. Um, and diplomacy will rule and we'll talk the problems through. So hopefully that's what will happen. Um, immigration is also a big one. It's mainly an issue for the housing sector. I think the reality is that it's, it's per capita GDP that matters, um, just pumping more people into the economy isn't necessarily optimal for the people who are already here, although I think it has led to a more dynamic economy over many, many years. But we do need to get the balance right. We had 15 years of very, very strong population growth in Australia, very high levels of immigration. That stretched our resources in housing, particularly if we're now going through a period of lower immigration, obviously negative at the moment, then that does impact the housing sector. I guess a cloud with silver lining there is that many Australians have been priced out of the housing market or increasingly over the years. This may provide an opportunity uh, for them to get into the housing market if we continue to produce houses, um, but demand is lower from immigrants. So that could be a positive if we end up with more affordable housing, but it's obviously something to keep an eye on. And lower population growth does mean lower growth potential for the Aussie economy, uh, which does impact the share market over time.
Indeed, and uh, of course you've got uh, unemployment, which is uh, sitting at uh, 7% and uh, likely, unlikely to move down to 5% for quite a few years. Yes, we do have a problem with unemployment. Um, it's not as bad as uh, might have been feared. There was a feeling, even I thought it would get up to 10% on an official basis, and of course on an unofficial basis, yeah, were it not for the various protections, it's above that, the 15%, in fact, back in, uh, back in April. Um, so it's 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 lower than feared, but it's still high, and we've got a huge chunk of Australians who are underemployed, and that's perhaps just a, just as big a problem, um, if not worse problem, because it's been so chronic. It existed before the uh, coronavirus setback, and now it's even worse. So that that reality will be there, and that will be a bit of a dampener again on the housing market uh, going forward. Uh, we do have very low interest rates. We have a lot of government subsidies. Um, first-time buyers are getting into the property market um, and we haven't seen the surge in supply from distressed selling that, that I feared earlier in the year. That Those things obviously support the property market in the short term, but then again, we, we do have higher unemployment than we used to. That's going to be a bit of a drag and the immigration impact is still feeding through. So some areas of the property market are going to be vulnerable to that and I'd say inner city Sydney and Melbourne are probably the most vulnerable in units. Uh, particularly given the newfound desire for suburban regional homes um, uh, that Australians have sort of come to as a result of the pandemic and the idea of working at home. Um, so, yeah, there will be an outworking of that high level of unemployment. But as long as the economy continues to reopen, then hopefully the trend in unemployment will remain down rather than, than up. Well, Shane Oliver, thank you very much for your insights and your forecast for next year and uh, wishing you all the best for the Christmas break. Thank you, Leon. Thank you, Leon. And thanks for having me on the program. And I wish you a great Christmas and everyone listening. A great Christmas and all the best for 2021. So what's happening in the news? Well, China's economic recovery from the coronavirus crisis powered ahead in November as crucial indicators of activity rose at their fastest rates this year. Industrial production increased 7% this year on year in November, edging up from 6.9% a month earlier, while retail sales rose 5%. Both metrics expanded more than in any other in 2020. China's economy returned to growth in the second quarter after an historic decline at the start of the year. The recovery has been stoked by the country's industrial sector and strong export growth at a time when other big economies have founded. The comeback has allowed China to play a more dominant role in global trade, which also gathered pace last month. Exports rose 21.1% in dollar terms in November, the biggest rise since February 2018, pushing China's trade surplus to its highest level on record. And Boris Johnson and Ursula von der Leyen have agreed to continue Brexit talks, saying that it was worth going the extra mile to see whether a trade deal could still be struck amid signs of progress on key sticking points. The decision was made during what the two sides described as a useful phone call between the British Prime Minister and European Commission President, following intensive negotiations in Brussels this weekend. Despite the fact that deadlines have been missed over and over, we think it is responsible at this point to go the extra mile, Ms von der Leyen and Mr Johnson said in a joint statement. We have accordingly mandated our negotiators to continue the talks and to see whether an agreement can even at this late stage be reached. The discussions will continue in Brussels. Ms von der Leyen added in a televised statement, saying it had been a constructive and useful call. The decision echoes comments from German Chancellor Angela Merkel earlier on Sunday that the two sides should try everything to achieve a result. Boris Johnson 
has been warned that the fate of millions of jobs, Britain's most deprived regions, and the UK's manufacturing base rely on him reaching an 11th-hour trade deal with the EU, as senior figures from every corner of the economy issued a final plea for a compromise. And Australian coal exports to China have been formally blocked after months of import restrictions that have thrown the $14 billion export industry into turmoil. The decision taken by China's National Development and Reform Commission at a meeting with 10 Chinese power plants on Saturday and reported by state media on Monday means Australian coal will be blocked indefinitely while China ramps up imports from Mongolia, Indonesia and Russia and expands local production. China's international state media outlet, the Global Times, reported the Commission had given approval to power plants to import coal without clearance restrictions except for Australia in a bid to stabilise coal purchase prices. The decision aims to reduce the price for state-linked firms as Beijing continues to punish Australia economically for its push for a coronavirus inquiry and criticism of China's human rights records and national security legislation. And Australian agribusiness companies doing business with China are worried about significant job losses as a result of the deteriorating export market as relations between Australia and China hit new lows, according to a new survey released on Tuesday by the Australian Chamber of Commerce in Beijing. The survey of Australian agribusinesses operating in China or exporting to China, particularly those in the wine industry, showed a significant fall in business confidence over the past few months in the wake of moves by Chinese officials to restrict the import of Australian products. The survey also showed that more than 40% of the respondents were strongly critical of moves in Australia by the Foreign Investment Review Board to block Chinese companies looking to buy assets in Australia. The downbeat survey follows moves by Chinese officials to impose tariffs of more than 200% on significant players in the once booming Australia. Australian wine export market to China. The Australian barley market in China was all but wiped out this year after China imposed tariffs of more than 80% on imports from Australia, while several major Australian abattoirs have been blocked from sending beef to China in recent months. And airports have urged the federal government to start reviewing all COVID-19 vaccines, not just those that will be injected into Australians, so it can let in travellers who want to get on planes to Australia without going into quarantine. While the aviation industry hopes that Australians will be let out and back in without quarantine once a vaccine has been distributed locally, they say it is not yet clear what standards the federal government will set for vaccinations of foreigners who want to come to Australia. And November was the strongest month for superannuation in 2020 and the eighth consecutive month of positive returns for members. As COVID-19 restrictions ease nationwide and investors look forward to the approval and distribution of a vaccine, share markets globally have pushed to record highs, delivering windfall gains for super members. According to estimates from leading superannuation research house Super Ratings, the median balanced option returned 4.9% in November as members enjoyed an early Christmas gift that has put them back into the black over the course of a volatile and uncertain year. And Federal Treasurer Josh Freinberg has backed a proposed inquiry chaired by the Coalition climate sceptic, George Christensen, that would interrogate banks refusing to finance coal investments. Christensen, the proposed chair of the parliamentary probe, would question banks such as ANZ that are refusing to finance new coal projects and insisting clients begin to decarbonise. Frydenberg gave his approval for Federal Resources Minister Keith Pitt to request the inquiry through the Standing Committee on Trade and Investment Growth. Global ratings agency Moody's warned the $4.5 trillion of debt was at very high or high risk because of environmental concerns, with coal mining and coal terminals at greatest risk. And Treasurer Josh Frydenberg is working on an overhaul of the corporate watchdog structure ahead of a shake-up next year that is likely to include fewer full-time commissioners and help businesses understand who is in charge of regulating their activities. 
A decision on the future of the Australian Securities Investments Commission Chairman James Shipton is yet to be made, with an outcome expected in the new year after an investigation is handed to the Treasurer later this month. Mr Shipton stood aside in October for an independent probe into ASIC approving payments of $118,557 for tax advice as part of a relocation package for his move from overseas to take up the top job, and a housing allowance of almost $70,000 paid to Deputy Chairman Daniel Crennan, who has since resigned. Legally, Mr Frydenberg can't sack Mr Shipton, and the termination power rests with the Governor-General if there is misbehaviour or the physical or mental incapacity to do the job, the ASIC Act notes. The Government is awaiting a report from the former Inspector-General of Intelligence, Vivian Tom. And Energy Minister Angus Taylor has unveiled a rescue package for oil refineries, despite the UN calling for an end to fossil fuel support at a global climate summit. The support to start on January 1st will provide a minimum one-cent payment for each litre of petrol, diesel and jet fuel produced by major oil refineries that continue operations in Australia. The first six months of the production payment is worth $83.5 million, with a long-term market mechanism for the payment to come into effect by July 1st next year. It comes on top of $200 million in grants to build an additional 780 million litres of onshore diesel storage. Taylor said the plan protected fuel security at a time when refineries were struggling with depressed demand in the economic downturn and would create 1,000 new jobs and protect workers in the fuel sector. And Crown Resorts faces a new shareholder class action, alleging investors were misled and harmed by the casino giant's dysfunctional governance, which led to possible breaches of anti-money laundering laws. Law firm Morris Blackburn lodged a claim in the Victorian Supreme Court on Friday, accusing Crown of engaging in misleading or deceptive conduct from December 2014 through to October this year, by telling investors it had robust or effective controls in place to ensure compliant anti-money laundering laws. The firm also alleges Crown acted contrary to its shareholders' interests and, in a novel legal approach, will ask the court to consider ordering Crown to buy back shares from affected investors. Morris Blackburn is already pursuing Crown through the federal courts, seeking millions of dollars for shareholders who lost money in a $1.3 billion share price crash after 19 Crown employees were arrested for gambling crimes in China in 2016. That case is set to go to trial in 2022. And the competition regulator will not stand in the way of wealth giant IWF's ambitious acquisition of the National Australia Bank's MLC, noting that the combined group would still face significant competition from industry super funds. The Australian Competition Consumer Commission released the finding of its review into the $1.4 billion transaction on Monday, paving the way for IWF to make good on its claim to become Australia's largest retail wealth manager and provider of financial advice. And the company leading Australian efforts to secure medical supplies during the coronavirus pandemic booked a massive 650% revenue bump last financial year, according to filings with the corporate regulator. Buoyed by government contracts worth close to $1.3 billion in the 18 months to August 2021, Asper Medical booked revenue of $562 million in 2019-20, up from $75 million a year earlier. Aspen was the second largest supplier to the Australian government in 2019-20. And Clive Palmer has forked out nearly $1 million for newspaper advertisements attacking corporate watchdog chairman James Shipton over the past two months. According to data collected by media advertising group Nielsen, Mr Palmer has spent $679,598 in November and $240,996 in 
December, so far on newspaper ads, a total of $921,000. Mr Palmer, who's been pursued by the corporate regulator for years over several matters, launched a series of large ads targeting the Australian Securities Investments Commission chairman after Mr Shipton stepped aside from his role amid an investigation into a now repaid tax advice bill from KPMG worth $118,557. And Deloitte Access Economics is warning of the potential for a rush of collapses in early 2021 in parts of the retail sector as government stimulus measures wind down, with the number of insolvencies now lower than normal despite the COVID-19 disruption. Deloitte Access Economics partner David Rumbin said even though confidence in the economy is accelerating, with extra impetus now COVID-19 vaccination programs in the United States and Britain have started, there could be a catch-up in the number of retailers going bust as an artificial safety net gives way. And APRA has announced it will no longer hold banks to a minimum level of earnings retention, unshackling them from the requirement to keep dividend payout ratios to 50% of profits. However, the Reserve Bank has warned that banks face fresh risks of business insolvencies and tighter margins from record low interest rates. Just a few hours after the Australian Prudential Regulation Authority gave the green light for higher bank dividend payments next year, dumping the COVID-19 cap on shareholder payouts, the RBA's Head of Financial Stability, Jonathan Kearns, highlighted that risk to bank profits remain with the largest contraction in global output since the Great Depression, impairing some households and businesses' ability to repay their loans. And the company behind Michelle's Patisserie, Brumby's Bakery, Donut King and Gloria Jean's Coffee is getting sued for allegedly ripping off its franchisees. The ACCC is seeking fines and adverse publicity orders against the retail food group. Michelle's Patisserie allegedly shifted $22 million from its marketing fund for ulterior purposes. RFG also owns Crust Pizza, Pizza Capers and The Coffee Guy, which are not involved in the case. The retail food group is accused of engaging in, un- in unconscionable conduct and making false or misleading representations according to a federal court case launched by the Australian Competition Consumer Commission. Australia's consumer watchdog will argue that RFG broke the law when it sold or licensed 42 loss-making stores to incoming franchisees between 2015 and 2019. And the Australian Competition Consumer Commission says a $552 million acquisition by Woolworths of privately owned PFD food services could give the supermarket giant too much bargaining power and reduce consumer choice. The ACCC is concerned the merger will restrict choice for food manufacturers and lessen competition between independent supermarkets. Woolworths has been trying to acquire a 65% stake in the PFD and its 26 distribution centres since August. PFD is a wholesale food distributor that purchases a wide range of food products from manufacturers and distributes them to businesses such as restaurants, fast food franchises, hotels and petrol stations. ACCC Chair Rod Sims said the watchdog was concerned the proposed acquisition would increase Woolworths' already substantial bargaining power in its dealings with food manufacturers. Woolworths and PFD both acquire food and groceries from suppliers such as frozen food manufacturers, dairy processors and manufacturers of pasta and sauces. And Jetstar has become the first local airline to say its domestic capacity will rise above pre-pandemic levels early next year as it looks to capitalise on a market bereft of any other low-cost option. Jetstar said travel demand to holiday spots bounced back in the lead-up to the summer holidays. The airline launched its annual Christmas sale on Tuesday. A Qantas-owned budget carrier will run more than 850 return flights next March, 10% more than it did during the same month in 2019. And
and Jet Star Chief Gareth Evans flagged it would use Airbus A320 planes usually used on short-haul international routes to cope with the extra frequency. And the return to CBDs will be sluggish in 2021. Traffic congestion will rise as people continue to shun public transport and waste will keep soaring due to the botched recycling of packaging thrown out after online shopping sprees, a national study on infrastructure after the pandemic is forecast. Infrastructure Australia, the federal agency charged with reviewing the nation's infrastructure needs, says the country will need to increase its investments in waste recycling as well as technology such as broadband services and rethink its use of office space due to changes in behaviour during the pandemic. In a 189-page report to be released on Wednesday, the agency singles out the boom in online shopping, soaring demand for telehealth services, lower demand for public transport and a shift to online education as trends that will stick around. And that's it for this week. And that's the last episode for Talking Business for 2020. Bring you Talking Business in this difficult year has been a privilege and I'd like to wish you all a safe, healthy and happy Christmas and a joyous and prosperous 2021. In the meantime, you can find me on Twitter, Talking Z, on Facebook and on LinkedIn. And if you want, leave a comment. Wishing you all a safe and healthy week and looking forward to bring you Talking Business next year, starting February the 5th. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.